You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. So next up, I'm super pumped about this. I, I was looking at like, all right, we're going to have practitioners. And then I wanted to get somebody from sales leadership and want to figure out how sales actually does it. So I have somebody, Todd Capone, who actually wrote a book on transparency sale. And he's going to share, he quit his job as a really fast growth company, right? And, and he came in and said, you know what? I want to write a book on this because this is too good to be true. And their companies are changing the way. So let me, please help me welcome Todd Capone. Todd. Come on in, man. All right, my brother. Let's do it. Thank you. Hello. So um, quick question before we start. Who was not familiar with this facility before you got here? Like, did you think you were coming to just like a regular Marriott? I know I did. Like, I walked up. I was like, holy crap, this place is amazing. So um, anyway, thank you for having me here, Sangram. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours, as you know. So first of all, by way of introduction, you'll see that uh, my first... Uh, thing about me is I'm terrible at following instructions. So bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. I, I kind of missed this one, but by way of introduction, I wanted to give you a little bit of background. Um, so I was on the sales leadership team of a company called Exact Target for a few years. Uh, if you don't know them, one-to-one marketing space, we took them through an IPO, and then now they are what's made up of the Salesforce marketing cloud via that acquisition for a little under $3 billion back in 2013. I then went to rebuild an organization in Chicago called Power Reviews. And you can probably tell by the name, what they do is they help retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their websites. So if you're on Crocs.com or Vineyard Vines or Jet and you're looking at a product, look right next to it and there's reviews, that was Power Reviews. So we had done a research study with Northwestern University. And so my third bullet point would be when I received the research study, So I was the chief revenue officer of this organization. It literally changed my whole life. So has anybody ever had their entire life changed by a research study? Well, I'm a nerd and that's what happened. So I want to, so I left my role as the chief revenue officer of what Deloitte called the fastest growing company uh, tech company in Chicago. I wrote a book. uh, It's called The Transparency Sale. So, and if you think it sucks, at least it'll look beautiful on your bookshelf. It's got a transparent cover. So Anyway, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why, because there's a massive evolution happening in the world of B2B sales and marketing, and nobody has been talking about it, all right? So let's start with the research study. So first of all, the first thing that was super obvious to probably all of you would be the fact that we all look at reviews before we make a purchase of medium to high consideration, right? So when you're gonna buy something you haven't bought before, Do you look at reviews first? Yeah, they say that 96% of us do, and I don't know who those 4% are that don't. But here was the thing that changed my whole life. All right, you ready? Might wanna write this down because it's important. 82% of us look for the negative reviews first. All right, we are wired to do that. And the second piece is this one right here. The fact that 
we are most often going to buy a product that has a review score between a 4.2 and a 4.5. In other words, a 4.2 to a 4.5 sells better than a 5. Imperfect sells better than perfect. That's when a website is acting as the seller. So I started to look into it a little bit and go, all right, let's look at the brain science around this. Like, does this equate to other things that we do? And I found a whole treasure trove of neuroscience around how we make decisions. And if we're in sales and marketing, wouldn't it be really important to know how we make decisions as human beings? So if you'll bear with me, we're going to nerd out a little bit here at the beginning. I'm going to get a little neuroscience, a little decision science. Then I want to give you some practical things that you can go use in your positioning, in how your sellers use email prospecting, and then the way you choreograph your presentations, okay? So the brain science part, the first thing that I recognize really, really quickly is that we are all wired to resist being influenced, all right? And I, there was one example, like I had read this and I was doing all the research, and then I looked out my front window at my house, and there was two people walking up my driveway, really well-dressed, and one had a clipboard, and like we ran to the back of the house, I was like, kids, get in the basement, and like we're closing the drapes. Like, I mean, that's part of how we're wired to resist being influenced, right? We see somebody who's going to try to sell us, and we run the other way. But that was the first one, right? The second piece of this is that we as human beings make all of our decisions, 100% of them, using feelings and emotions, and only use logic to back up those decisions, all right? We are feeling and emotion-based, not logic-based, all right? And I'm going to talk about what that, why that matters here in a couple minutes. The third piece that's so important is that it doesn't matter if it's B2C on a website or B2B. Imperfect sells better than perfect. Transparency sells better than perfection. All right, so that's the brain science, right? You with me? So the brain science tells us that transparency sells better than perfection, but there's something else happening that's causing this evolution to happen right now. And it's the proliferation of reviews on everything we do, everything we buy, and everything we experience. Right? You're not picking restaurants in, in new towns without first checking out the reviews, not buying products you haven't bought before without looking at the reviews. You're rating your Uber drivers who are also rating you. Right? Shameless self-promotion. Can anybody beat a 492? Does anybody know what their Uber score is? So like I always joke that I think that we should, in recruiting, we should like ask for people's Uber score. It would be a rating. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, wouldn't that tell you a lot about the person? Anyway, so the point is. The brain science tells us that we need to embrace transparency, right? Because it does, has tremendous impacts on the way that we make decisions. But the proliferation of reviews is telling us we have to do it right now, all right? So what does this mean? Let me take you through a couple of examples. So first one, let's talk about all of our favorite retailer, right? Uh, all of you been to an Ikea or at least know what Ikea is? So wouldn't you think, like I always thought as a re if I was a furniture retailer, it would be super easy to beat Ikea, right? You walk in, it's like a labyrinth of hallways. There's like kids banging you with their shopping carts. Uh, you finally find what you're looking for. Let's say it's a children's bedroom set and there's no salesperson around to help you out. So you got to write down the code or take a picture of it because you're going to the warehouse yourself downstairs to pick it and pack it onto a cart that doesn't have brakes. Like who, I, I don't understand, like who decided not to put brakes on the cart. So you go down there, you pull the boxes off, the cart's trying to roll away on you. You get it out to the cashier, you get it into the parking lot, 
And then, you know, if you're looking for something fun to do on a Saturday afternoon, watch people trying to jam the big boxes into their hatchbacks, like, and then just count the F-bombs. It's uh, really a good time. So anyway, you finally start to drive home. You've got an injury or two as a souvenir. And then you get home, you open the box, and that's when the fun starts, right? Like, if you didn't think that last part was fun, try putting it together. 150 parts and no words on the instructions, right? Well, why... Why hasn't anybody beat Ikea? Well, essentially what they have told the world is, hey, listen, we're not going to be good at these things. We're not going to help you out with your purchase. We're not going to put it on the cart for you. We're not going to assemble it. But we do that so we can be really good at giving you modern Scandinavian design furniture that you didn't pay a lot for, right? So think about your own organizations. What are you giving up to be great at your core? right? What are you giving up to be great at your core? Think about Ikea. There's certain things that you're just not going to be good at. And when we lead with those, magic happens. And by way of example, like I said, I was the chief revenue officer of a company of power reviews in Chicago. And we got an inbound lead. I happened to be in New York and the inbound lead was from Calvin Klein. So Calvin Klein's a nice big brand for us. So my VP of sales calls me or he actually texted me. He's like, Todd, Inbound lead just came in from Calvin Klein. They're going to start a full evaluation of ratings and reviews technology. I'm like, wait, they're, they're in New York, right? He's like, yeah. Hey, could you um, send a note to their head of e-commerce and tell him I'm in town and see if he wants to grab coffee with me? So he did, and the guy said yes. Like, I thought there was like a 1 in 20 chance that the guy would say yes. He actually did. So I go to his office in Manhattan. Has anybody ever been to Calvin Klein's offices in Manhattan? I'm just, I was like debating whether to show this slide or not. This is a picture from the creepiest elevator area I've ever seen. So I walk in and so he's waiting for me right by the door and brings me back to his office. We go into his office again. I think we're having coffee. People start rolling chairs into his tight, like the, the office is like maybe this big over here. They roll in seven chairs. So there's eight of us jammed into this little Manhattan office. He looks at his monitor and he's like, hey, Todd, if you want to just plug in your laptop there for your presentation. Like, presentation? I thought we were having coffee. So there's all these people jammed in there. This guy is New York in the best way possible, meaning let's just get to it. Todd, we're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. You seem viable. We've talked to your competitor. How are you better than them? And I had just read all this research, and I was beginning to nerd out on it. And I was like, what the hell? I'm going to try it, right? So I said, hey, before we dig into that, can I tell you what they're better than us at first? Because if what they're doing is more is really important to you in your evaluation, I want to get that out now and save everybody a ton of time. They all kind of, you could feel the room deflate a little bit. They're like, oh, yeah, cool. Go, go ahead. Are you, I think there was part of like, are you insane? So I did. So our competitor was building an add-on. It wasn't ratings and reviews. It was like an ad retargeting technology that plugged in. And so I explained it and I actually tried to sell them on it. I was like, listen, it's not on our roadmap. It's not something that we've contemplated, but I know like Gap is using it, another apparel company. And I think they're getting value from it. But again, it's not on our roadmap because we want to be really good at our core. So if this is going to be super important, like I'm going to save you 45 minutes and get out of your hair. They all looked at each other and they're like, yeah, it's actually not very important to us at all. We haven't even contemplated it. So sometime down the road, if we do contemplate it, how would you approach it? I was like, well, we're probably not going to build it, but we can plug in some uh, partner technologies to make it work and then talk about it when we get there. But for right now, our focus is ratings and reviews. And they're like, oh, great. So 
15 minutes later, this is when I knew I was onto something. This guy literally kicked the other seven people out of his office and did something I've never had anybody do in the history of my selling. He pulled a folder off his credenza, opened it up, and it said e-commerce budget, had all the line items and how much money he was spending on each one, and said, can you hit that? Pointing to the ratings and reviews. I literally have never had anybody do that before. And that was 15 minutes in. The expectation was that they were going to do a long evaluation like everybody does in high consideration purchases, do a presentation, do an RFP. Well, instead, two weeks later, he called me and said, hey, Todd, I wanted to tell you first at Power Reviews before I told anybody else because a funny thing just happened. First of all, we've selected you. Second of all, I called your competitor first to tell them we selected you and they went into a pitch on their ad retargeting technology and said, you're not gonna get that with them. And he's like, whoa, 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 I know, I know. Their CRO is actually trying to sell us on it, right? So you can, can you uh, like sense what that means? It means that a sales cycle that should have been six months took six weeks. They made their decision in two and then we had four weeks of T's and C's. So sales cycle accelerated like crazy rapid. Win rates went up across the board. We qualified deals in faster that we should win. We qualified deals out faster that we we're going to lose anyway. And the fun part around that whole conversation he had with our competitors is you make it really hard on your competitors to compete against you if you're presenting the whole picture, both what the competitor can do better than you, where you fall short, and what you're really focused on, okay? So you probably didn't think I was going to inject a quote from a supermodel, right? But here comes. We're going to talk about Tyra Banks here for a second. So Tyra Banks came up with the word flossum, all right? And that's what we all need to be starting to consider. I'm not telling you to go out into the world and say, hey, everybody, this is why we suck, right? It's not that. What Tyra Banks talks about is to embrace your flaws, but know that you're still awesome. That four, two to four, five is important, both in the B2C, but in the B2B world when we're human to human conversing, right? We need to lead with our flaws, but know that we're still awesome. Because if we're below that, we probably suck too much to have good sales anyway, right? So here's your homework around this. I want you to think about this study that Gartner came out with last year that looked at when a B2B buyer is going through their process, right? So they're starting an evaluation and there's a team associated with it. What does the team spend their time on? Well, it turns out that only 39% of their time is spent talking to you, talking to your competitors, or talking to their internal buying groups. The other 61% is doing other stuff. And what's that other stuff? It's talking to references. It's back-channeling you. It's talking to peers. It's talking to analysts. If you're in the tech space and you're not following G2 Crowd and Trust Radius, you've got to start doing that today. G2 Crowd, Trust Radius are collecting and displaying ratings and reviews on tech, uh, like technologies, right? Where you can go see the pros and cons as left by your peers their peers when they're making purchases. And then there's Glassdoor. So Glassdoor obviously is where employees and former employees can leave reviews on what the environment is like. I know buyers are looking at this today too. If you just search in Google, what is it like to work with X? You're a buyer and you're making a purchase. Glassdoor comes up first a lot. And those buyers are looking because they're not just buying your technology, they're buying you, they're buying human beings and they are trying to predict what their experience is going to be like. And they're going to find the flaws. So your homework as marketers is to go act like a buyer and find out what are you going to find when you go search. 
and then take that together and work with your sales team to create messaging around that 4-2 to 4-5, around what Tyra Banks calls being flossum, right? Don't just leave it to the salespeople to go out there, hey, we suck, we're terrible at these things. No, marketers need to own that dialogue with the sellers and make sure that we're framing it right, but it starts with leading with your flaws, right? Again, 82% of us as buyers look for the flaws first, and we don't believe anything until we see those. In B2B, it's the exact same thing. As a B2B buyer, I want to know the whole picture before I'm going to believe your pitch. And marketers, that's where you jump in to try to help out with that. All right? Cool? We good so far? All right, so uh, you want to talk a little bit about email prospecting? So I just I wanted to layer in a little brain science around email prospecting for you, because this is something that, as you know, having been on the sales leadership team at Exact Target for so long, focused on email, the things that we taught have changed a little bit too. And I want to bring a little brain science into that. So first of all, you know, I was a sales rep back in the 90s. I kind of sucked at it. In late in 1999, I was at a company called SAP, and that was right when we were all worried that uh, the year 2000 crisis was going to happen. And when the clocks changed to January 1st, 2000, like planes were going to fall out of the sky. And so at SAP, we took massive advantage of that to kind of replace everybody's backend systems. I did 800% of my target in uh, 1999, but really had no idea what I was doing. So I, as I moved forward in my career to director and then vice president, SVP and CRO, with each jump up, my email volume of inbound emails went up, right? So for you, when you're thinking about who you're targeting, the higher in an organization, this should be obvious, right? The higher in an organization you're targeting, the more emails those people get. As a CRO, I always viewed my email inbox like the instant lottery, right? Where I had to check it. I had responsibilities to my team, my boss, my board, our investors, our customers, so I'm checking email even when I'm sitting in one of my 30 uh, mess or meetings that I had every week. But odds are, when I checked my email, it was just going to be filled with losers, right? Just like the instant lottery. I got to check it because there could be a winner. Most of the time, it's losers. So I want to have you look at my inbox for a second. I just screenshotted eight emails that I had received as a CRO and consider something before we jump in. So this is just eight. In my book, I've got a whole page of them. It's amazing. These all came in a row. First of all, we're all taught to focus on the subject line. The subject line is what gets the opens, right? Not anymore. Every inbox that I have has a preview of the first 10 words, right? Are we optimizing for that? I don't think you are, given the emails that I get, right? People are not. This is an opportunity, a huge opportunity. So let's look at those for a second. First of all, if I get 100 to 150 emails a day, and I'm searching through, looking like sometimes I'm in a meeting and I'm looking at my phone. As soon as I see I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, which ones do you think are getting deleted first? If they said I wanted to give you a million dollars, I would never get to it because I will have deleted your message. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't have problems, but my inbox starts to look like white noise when it's I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, right? And then the second category are, hey, just checking to see if you got the other 40 emails that I sent you. All right, well, hey, thanks for the reminder that I didn't open your other ones, which even worse are the guilt trips, right? I've reached out a couple of times. I've tried to reach you a few times. Yeah, again, thanks for the reminder why I didn't open the other emails. We need, if you're gonna stand out in the inbox, it's not gimmicks, it's how do you create a personalized, valuable interaction with somebody in those first 10 words? 
I don't even look at the subject lines anymore. I'm looking at those first words and I know your buyers are too. So start to work to optimize that. A couple of pieces of advice there. First of all, get the eyes and the we's out of your first 10 words. All right, no more I and we. And actually I've gotten to the point where I get I and we out of every email that I send. Doesn't matter if it's prospecting, if it's to my wife, it, I's and we's, emails need to be about the individual you're sending to, not about me, all right? The second piece is make it personalized and valuable and make that shine through in those first 10 words. I had companies that would send me a note, for example, saying, hey, Todd, I saw that you just, uh, it wasn't I, I'm sorry. They said, hey, end of the quarter just happened. You probably have a board meeting coming up. Here's a template that you can use that maybe will speed your board prep. I was like, oh, that's cool. All right, I clicked on it. It was helpful. A week later, you're hiring SDRs in the Chicago market. Here's a salary study we did about how much SDRs in the Chicago market are making. Like, who are these guys? They're awesome, right? Personalized and valuable. Make it evident in those first 10 words, and you're going to win. Once I open those emails, the second thing that I want you to think about is how long the emails are. All right? So do you, is there ever a time where you open an email that you got from somebody? and it reads like war and peace, right? And then your brain cries a little bit on the inside. Oh God, I don't wanna read this whole darn thing, right? We crave simplicity, especially if it's a conversation with somebody that we don't know before. So you got me to open the email and then you write war and peace, delete. You've gotta keep it short. Think Twitter length instead of war and peace length. Take another lesson from the e-commerce market. E-commerce, so I blew up what you see on the left over to the right. One thing that they do around their product descriptions, you can do this in email. Their product descriptions, they've got, you can see they've got four bullets listed and then they fade it out and they say, hey, if you wanna get a little bit more information, click here. Why do you think they do that? Because if they listed every single bullet, your brain would hurt. Subconsciously, you'd look at that and go, ah, oh, too much, I don't wanna read it. So they keep it short and then invite you to click for more information and what does that also do for them? It gives them click data to see that you're actually interested in that product. Can you do that in your emails? Absolutely, right? Most of us have email technology that allows us to see when people are engaging in it. And I know nobody's mentioned Sigster since the last talk, so I'll mention it again. But Sigster provides a great opportunity to actually do that in your signature block, right? The way that they would do it is it's actually ABM for your signature block that's specific to the individual's profile that you're sending to. So imagine sending them a really short email, leaving it at that so it doesn't hurt the brain, and then the click-through is personalized to them and you can track it in the back end. Or if you don't wanna do Sigster, at the very least, keep your email short, put the information below your signature so it doesn't hurt the brain so that they're invited to go down, or just provide a link in your signature block. Those three things will get you more opens, more engagement, more people that are actually reading what you just sent, all right? So personalized, valuable, Short, what's next? Asking for the engagement, asking for the appointment. So let's talk a little brain science around that for a second. So imagine you and a friend, you and a spouse, you and a buddy are in a town you've never been in before. You're hungry, it's nighttime, right? You're walking down the street, you see a restaurant on the left, and that restaurant on the left looks really empty, right? You don't really see anybody out front, there's nobody in the windows, but then you look over to the right, and you see there's like restaurant right there that's kind of bustling. There's people in the windows. There's people up front. Which one do you go to? The one on the right, right? There's always somebody that's like, I like the path least. They're like, all right, dude. 
But most of us take the one on the right because it appears to be popular. That's people proof. So what does this have to do with your emails and asking for appointments in your emails? Well, most of us, most sellers that I see that are sending messages to me are presenting themselves as though they're the restaurant in the left by saying things like, hey, Todd, anytime next week, just pick a time. I'm available at any time you want to meet. Or what's even funnier is when they uh, include a calendar link. And so you click on it so that they're trying to provide the ultimate in flexibility, which I love around giving you effect with just saying, hey, here's my calendar, pick a time that works for you. But then I decided to open one just for fun, just to see. And I got this one. This dude had every time available from nine to five every single day for the next two months, except of course he blocked out lunch. Dude's got to eat lunch. Essentially, he is the restaurant on the left, right? So this isn't being non-transparent. What it's doing is create the impression you're in demand at the very least by being specific with the times that you choose. If your people are using calendars like this, have them block out the times that they're available when they're at your, their best. Like I know I'm at my best in the morning. At about two in the afternoon, if I haven't had coffee, I'm kind of dragging. So I try not to schedule any of my really important stuff at two in the afternoon. So you can do this on your calendar invites or when your reps are asking for appointments, they're saying, hey, how's Tuesday at two o'clock or Wednesday at 10 in the morning? Specific, and if they say no, you've at least shifted the conversation from whether or not you're gonna meet to when you're gonna meet, all right? So that's email. Last topic, presentations and your presentation choreography, all right? So let's start with this guy. Anybody know who this dude is? There's always one person that knows, come on. Nobody? It's Phineas Gage. So Phineas Gage, so 110 years ago, Phineas Gage was a railroad worker. He was the superintendent for explosives. So as they were laying railroad across the country, when they would get to a hill, they didn't want to curve the railroad around because then the, uh, the, the trains would have to slow down. Not efficient. So they'd bring Phineas in to literally blow up the side of the mountains. So what he would do is that they would come dig a hole they would put the explosives in. They'd use, he'd use that post there that you can see and damp down the explosives, then get out of there. It would blow up. They'd flatten it and lay the railroad. Well, one day, unfortunately for Phineas, and this could get a little gross, so bear with me for a second. Phineas is damping down the explosives and it goes off and goes through his cheek and out the top of his head, lands about 200 yards away with part of his brain on it. Yeah, gross. The middle part of his brain. Turns out it's the part that governs feelings and emotions. Somehow Phineas survived. He doesn't look so good, but he was functional. But he lost the ability to make decisions. He couldn't experience feeling and emotion and also couldn't make any decisions. So there's this guy, Antonio Damasio, that started to research this and looked at other instances where the feeling and emotion center of the brain was disconnected. And those people are literally like monotone in everything they do, but they couldn't even decide to get out of bed in the morning to take a shower, what clothes to wear. But they also like they, they lost that ability to make any kind of decisions. And it led to this conclusion that we are all feeling and emotion driven and only use logic to back that up. So what does this mean to you as marketers? Well, I want to tell you a couple of quick things. So Antonio Damasio is the guy that says, you know, we are not thinking machines that feel, we're feeling machines that think. But I want you to think about first example would be your logo slides. So I used to joke with my, my team that the first person to put a logo slide at the beginning of their presentations was fired. Now it was a joke, 
But there's a reason for this. If we are feeling machines that think, our brains are wired to take the easy way out. All right, so if we come in with a preconceived idea about you, so I'm a buyer and I'm, I'm leaning your way and I see the logo slide. This logo slide, I would look at it and go, yeah, if those companies, if they're good enough for those companies, they're good enough for us. But let's say I walked into the room and I'm not a, on your side. What would I see when I saw this? Oh, you know what? We're going to be a really small fish in a big pond. I don't see any companies that are in my vertical. Oh, the logo slide is parting the ways with your team, with your buyers. If we're in a consensus buy and we lead with logic, your map is doing the same thing. Your mission is doing the same thing. Your product page is doing the same thing. And then there's always one dude that's like, oh, they work with ShakeWave. Cool. So, oh, come on. I snuck that joke in there. I got a couple. All right. So what I want you to think about, and I'll leave you with this, is when you think about the way you choreograph your presentations, instead of logic, 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 data, ROI, think reality makeover TV shows. All right, I know that sounds crazy, but think about it. Queer Eye, Restaurant Impossible, uh, Biggest Loser, they all follow a choreography where they have been invited in. It's not like they barge in on The Biggest Loser and go, man, you need to be on this show. Those people raise their hand. It's the same thing in your presentations, right? You don't barge in the conference rooms and start presenting, right? So it starts with an understanding of why you've been brought in. There's a disarming in Queer Eye. These guys become themselves and show like being human beings right out of the gate. And then they teach the individual how their perception of status quo is actually not quite as bad as it actually is. They start pointing out different things that are actually worse than they thought. They inject emotion, they inject logic into it. And in the end, those individuals are ready to run through a brick wall for these, for these guys, for the Restaurant Impossible guys, for the Biggest Loser trainers. In every single case, it tells a great story, but it's incredibly compelling to the participant. And that's what you want in every one of your presentations. So take a look at that. I, uh, again, shameless self-promotion. The book is called The Transparency Sale. You can check that out. It's available everywhere books are sold. And if you're having trouble going to sleep at night, I recorded the audio for the audio book myself. So uh, you can get that too. But uh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. This is one of the reasons I wanted Todd to be here because I think the biggest lesson for me has been like, my goodness, the whole Amazon review thing, like what do you buy and how do you buy? It's a big deal. Can you share a real quick story of like one of the, the, the as you started, left the job and now you're doing this full time, sharing this to all organizations, all the place. Is there some aha moments that you're seeing with, with more companies that are like, wait a minute, that's something they've not heard before? Yeah, I mean, I think this, uh, the companies that are testing out leading with their flaws yeah. are instantly finding a different relationship built from the first conversation. So that's one big one. There's a second one I didn't talk about. Yeah. What, as a sales leader forever, I was taught negotiation from like former FBI agents, right? Like they, there's these turned salespeople that teach you to look for eye twitches and yeah. uh, you aim like, high. Or like standing extreme. like this. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. And what all that means. Well, I was like, wait, that's crazy to me. If we spend a whole sales cycle building trust and then they say yes. Mm. And when they say yes, we're like, all right, I'm going to go into Texas Hold'em style. I'm going to hide my tells. I'm going to wear goggles and I'm going to start lying to you. Like I thought that was crazy. So there's something called transparent negotiating mm. uh, was something that I rolled out about 10 years ago. We did it at everybody at Exact Target. Everybody yeah. at Pardot was using it. Um, but it's basically to walk in and play your cards face out. Right. And it's say, hey, as an organization, we care about four things. Yeah. How much you buy, how fast you pay, how long you commit, and when you sign. Yeah. And I'm willing to pay you in the form of a discount for you to help me out on those. 
And the magic that happens when you do that's amazing. So this whole concept of transparency, the brain science around it is amazing. But again, the proliferation of reviews on everything is making it mandatory today. No doubt. And I think it also brings the authenticity back into the, like, you, you don't have to fake your way around it. You can actually win, win faster and bigger with that. So again, yeah. one more round of applause for Thank John. You. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.